Y'all know this story, but I'll tell it again. September 30th, 2015. Ruthie and I, there's the rain. September 30th, 2015. Ruthie and I walked into our house about 9 o'clock at night to find water not just standing in the house, but flowing through and out of the house. Lots of it. Almost every square inch of flooring in our house was covered with water. There were places where it was at least three inches deep. Had the water not made its way through a sheetrock wall, there was enough water that it finally made its way through a sheetrock wall and into another, through another sheetrock wall into the garage. If it wouldn't have been for that, I don't know how the deep, how deep the water would have gotten. So I shut the water off. Obviously there was a leak. And with the help of some friends, we started vacuuming and sweeping water out of the house while Ruthie called the insurance company. The insurance company sent out some professionals around midnight, and they started doing stuff, and they put up these fans that were literally this big, and these dehumidifiers that were probably half the size of this pulpit. They were huge. And they pulled all the baseboards off the walls, and they left about 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning. Oh, there's pictures. Since it was 2 or 3 o'clock in the morning, we decided to stay and spend the night with all these huge machines going. I think there were probably 12 or 13 of these huge fans and dehumidifiers. The noise was deafening. It was, it was just terrible. And even though there wasn't any water left on the floors, by the next day, the water had wicked up through the sheetrock between 12 and 18 inches. It was pretty nasty. The house was a disaster, and the next day I said, I'm not staying here anymore. So we went and got a hotel room. We figured we'd probably be out of the house for a couple weeks. They'd send some people in. They'd clean all the mess up, and um, then we'd move back in. And it really didn't work out that way. Because after one thing and then another, the restoration company finally came in the house. They took all of our stuff. I mean, every stitch of clothing, every piece of furniture, every knick-knack. The house was completely empty. And they put it all in storage. And we stayed in the hotel waiting for them to get finished. We finally moved our house back into our house in February of 2016, almost five months later. It was more than a couple weeks. Once we were back in the house with the walls replaced and lots of furniture replaced and all new paint and all the stuff back in, I'm looking around. This is our first day back. Looking around. We had just moved out of the hotel that morning. And I found this old, old John Denver song. And I started playing it over and over through the stereo. Hey, it's good to be back home again. And I played it over and over and over and sang along with it. It was good to be back home again. And I sat down on the couch that first day back. And as I sat down, a phrase went through my mind. A phrase that I had heard all my life, but it had really never had the same meaning. And it was a simple five words. There's no place like home. 
And that's what I want to talk about for just a few minutes today. There's no place like home. In the 15th chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Jesus told three parables. But the one I want us to look at today is found in Luke chapter 15, verses 11 through 31. I want to read verses 11 through 13 to start with. Let's look at that together. If you don't have your Bible, it's right up here behind me. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided them among his living. He divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. So this man had two sons, and for whatever reason, Jesus doesn't say why, but this this younger son came to his dad and he said, Look, I want you to give me all of my share of the inheritance that I have coming to me. And the way that it worked back then, the older son would get two-thirds, the younger son would get half that much or a third. And while it was well within his rights to say that, it probably wasn't the smartest thing or the wisest choice he could have made. But in spite of his son's poor choices, in spite of probably breaking his heart, we read that the father gave his youngest son the inheritance that he was due, and the young man left home. And it's very likely that as this young man had all this money and he had all his stuff together, he's taken off and he probably had something go through his mind, something like, wow, now I can really live. Before we go on, I want to remind you though, that in Jesus' parable and what I'm getting ready to say, in those two things, this is a grown son. This is not a 10-year-old kid. This is a grown son. As a parent... There might be a time in your life when you face a similar situation. You might raise your child to the best of your ability. Bring them to church. Make sure they hear the word. Do all the things that you know to do. But regardless how hard you might have tried, sometimes that child is determined to step out and go do it on their own. Often the harder you try to convince them of the error of their ways, the more determined they are to do it their own way. At some point, even though it may be tearing your heart out at the time, you let them go, praying that at some point they will see the error of their ways in return. There are also times when children of God, people who know right from wrong, people who have been forgiven, people who have been redeemed, filled with the Spirit, for whatever reason, make a decision to take their life down a path that goes against what they know in their heart is right. Maybe it's out of rebellion. Maybe it's because they've let the things of the world, a little bit at a time, creep into their life. And they find that they're just not where they should be with Christ. Maybe it's an attitude of, well, I've done this for long enough. I'm going to go out and do something else and have some fun. I've seen it. Regardless of the reasons, far too many times... Even though it doesn't have to be that way, it doesn't usually end well. Luke 15, verses 14 through 16. Let's finish our story here. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in the whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went out and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to the field to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, 
but no one gave him anything. And we see what this young man did was what probably a lot of young men would do in his place. Took all their stuff, got as far away from home, went to another country, not just the next town, went as far away as he could get. I will tell you that I think that he had already departed from home a long time ago in his heart. It's just now he was physically gone. I will also tell you that I don't think that anybody wakes up one day and says, today I'm going to walk away from the Lord. Today, you know what I'm going to do? I'm just going to quit serving God. I don't think it happens like that. I think it's in their heart long before they make that decision, and little bit by little, they move out. As you might expect, this man, young man, blew through all his money pretty quickly. And while he's busy wasting his money, a severe famine hits the land. He's out spending like money was never going to go away. And a severe famine comes into the land. And about the same time, something else hit. Reality. Verse 14 says that he began to be in need. He was broke, which is usually the case. And when the money was gone, so were the people who said they were his friends. He was alone. He was broke. Hadn't changed much over the last several thousand years, has it? He finds himself broke and hungry, a long way from home, and based on his actions, I believe that he was not only monetarily broke, I believe that he was emotionally broken as well. He had gotten to such a low place in his life that he decided to sell himself into servitude just so he could earn some money. And of all things that this person that he sold himself into servitude would have him do, he had him go feed the pigs. Keep in mind, this young man was a Jew. Pigs were unclean. That was the last thing any person that was a Jew wanted to do, was be around a bunch of nasty pigs. And of all the jobs he would end up with, he's feeding the pigs. And it gets worse. It seems that things got so bad that it says that he would have been content with eating what the pigs were eating. But verse 16 says, but no one gave him anything. So we see that the pigs were eating better than him. He's a long ways from home. He's broke. He's hungry. And he's sitting in a pig pen. That's quite a fall. From a valued son to a servant. And this is a picture of what sin does in a person's life. The devil, he will tell you, you don't need to stay around here. There's nothing here for you. Go out there and have some fun. Live it up. You're young. Enjoy it while you can. Think of all the things that you could do out there. He paints a great picture. Sin promises freedom, but it brings about slavery. I read something recently. There's an old saying that says, Sin always promises more than it gives, takes you further than you wanted to go, and leaves you worse off than you were before. So as this young man sits here among these pigs, sitting in a filthy, stinking pig pen at probably the lowest place he'd ever been in his life, he came to his senses. Sometimes that happens to us too. We have to hit bottom before we come to our senses. 
And this young man began to think about home. And he thought, you know what, back in my father's house, even the servants have additional food. They have more than what they even want to eat. And here I am longing for pig food and I can't even have that. Maybe he was sincere. Maybe he was desperate. Maybe it was the hunger talking. But he said, here's what I'll do. I'll go back to my father. I'll say, I've sinned against you. I know I'm not your son anymore. Let me just be a hired servant. He was to a place in his life where he had nothing left. He had nothing to offer. And the only thing that he could hope for at this point was mercy and grace of his father. And I believe that as he sat there financially broke, physically and emotionally broken, maybe for the first time in his life, he realized there's no place like home. The parable doesn't say what dad was doing during this time while the son's away. But speaking as a dad, I would say that this man had to be heartbroken. He didn't know where his son was. As a dad, I would say that every day, this young man's dad looked for him. Look at the second part of verse 20. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, and kissed him. The scripture says that he saw him while he was a long ways off. You know what that means? It means he was looking for him. I believe that every day this dad went out to the mailbox. Maybe a couple times. And as he checked the mail, he'd look down the road, close it back, go back in the house. Maybe there were days when he thought he saw his son and he'd look real close and go, no, it's not him. But he'd still go out to the mailbox the next day and he'd look and the next day and the next. But then one day, one day he looks way down the road and I believe that he squinted and said, what? He looks a little harder and his heart starts to beat a little bit faster. And as this person gets a little bit closer, he realizes, that's my son. And he runs out to his son and he wraps his arms around him and he gives him a kiss. Verses 21 through 24. And the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe And put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. The boy says, Dad, I've sinned. I know I'm not your son anymore. The dad just completely ignores what he said. And turned to the servants and said, Bring this boy a robe. Bring him the best robe. Bring him some shoes for his feet. Put a ring on his finger. Let's have a party. We're going to celebrate. My son is home. And before we finish the story, I want to just add this. 
If you are a parent who has a child or children who once knew the Lord but have strayed away, don't give up. Don't give up. Keep praying for them. Keep believing that the things that were instilled in their heart as children, those things have not been forgotten. The Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go, and when he's old, he won't depart from it. Hold on to that. Keep looking down the road. Every time you go out to the mailbox, whatever that might be, look down the road and, and just expect him to be coming up the road. If not tomorrow, then the next day. But keep praying, believing that someday you're going to see your children come back to the Lord. Maybe this will give you some hope. I had an uncle, one of my mother's brothers. He lived a hard life. He was an alcoholic, lots of other problems. But my grandmother never gave up on him. I can still remember my little grandmother requesting prayer in church and saying, please pray for Chris. Please pray for Cliff. And that's all she'd say. Please pray for Cliff. And she never gave up. She prayed and she believed that someday her son would come back to the Lord. At 81 years old, my uncle Cliff gave his life to Jesus. And he lived the rest of his life as a child of God. Mom, Dad, don't give up. There's one final tragic character in this parable, and that's the, the older son. Let's read Luke 15, 25-31. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in, so his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders, yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property... With prostitutes comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. So the reunions happened and the party that ensued has taken place. The old, older brother who had stayed home comes in from working in the fields. And he hears all the noise and he says to one of the servants, what's all the commotion? What's going on? And the servant tells him, your, bro- your younger brother has come home. And you would think the brother would be overjoyed. Wasn't the case. Instead, he got angry. He refused to go to the celebration, so the dad goes out to the older son, and he pleads with him, come on into the celebration. Come on, son. Your brother's back. And the older son was indignant. He said, look what I've done for you. I've been the good son. I've been faithfully slaving away all these years for you. I never got a party. And then, then this son of yours, he didn't even call him his brother. He said, then this son of yours, 
who goes out and spends all the money that you gave him on parties and hookers, he comes back home finally, and you throw him a party. I'm not going in there. I want everybody to hang on for a quick minute and promise me before you pick something up and throw it at me or walk out, you'll let me finish. As sad as this older brother's behavior was, I will tell you that it's a pretty good picture of some who claim to be part of the family of God today. Maybe they never left home physically. Maybe they never left the church. And yeah, they're always around the Heavenly Father. But they too have taken Him for granted. They don't enjoy His fellowship. And even worse, many times they, they refuse to rejoice when someone comes home. I never did that. Why would I rejoice with them? They don't seem to understand that because of the relationship that was never broken... And because of their promised inheritance, they could eat of the fattened calf anytime they wanted. They were in fellowship with their father. But in spite of that, they refused to enjoy the blessings of the father. I will tell you, sometimes it's because they're just bitter. Sometimes they're sulking. And sometimes I even think there's people who are jealous of the lives that people who are living out in sin are living. I never got to do that. I think there's sometimes they're just self-righteous like this brother was. Look what I've done. I've been the good one. I didn't waste my life. I've been faithful. And when they do that, they're forgetting that there's always consequence that goes along with sin. Let me remind you today that the the younger brother in this parable, while he did come back, and yes, he was forgiven, and he was back home as a son, he still had to deal with the consequences of his choices. In this case, it meant his inheritance was gone. He was forgiven, but there were still consequences. For us today, when we are forgiving, given, yes, the sin is gone. And yes, we are now children of the Most High God. But often there are consequences that go along with the sin that we might have to deal with. And I'll give you an example, and this is a harsh one. Let's say somebody goes out and they commit murder. Shortly after they commit murder, they come to the Lord. They get saved. They're filled with the Holy Spirit. Yes, God forgives them. Yes, their sin is gone forever. Even murder is forgiven. Never to be remembered against them. And and yes, someday we'll rejoice in heaven with them. But in the meantime, it's a pretty good chance they're going to spend a few days in prison. Even though they're saved, there's consequences to the sin. The sin is gone, but the consequences aren't. So with that in mind... If you have never lived out in the world, out there, if you have never gone through all the things that you hear people talk about that they went through out in the world, and you have never experienced the hurt and the pain and the destruction that goes along with those things out in the world, 
Just be glad. Celebrate the fact that you never went. Celebrate the fact that you stayed home. You stayed home in the presence of the Father because there is no place like home. And certainly, that is no place like home. Don't go out in the world looking for something that isn't there, like this younger son did. And don't hold some self-righteous grudge against those who mistakenly did go. I've seen it time and time again, and I will assure you that as attractive as the things of the world might be, they will most assuredly cause pain, they will cause suffering, and often scars that will last a lifetime. And I'm sure there are others here today that will testify to that. What a blessing it would have been if the older brother had just run out with his father to welcome his younger brother. Think how much different it would have been. And what a difference it would make in our churches today if those who are already home would join their Heavenly Father in looking for those who aren't home yet and then rejoicing with the Father when that lost child does come home. That's what we should be doing. Looking for them to come home and rejoice with them when they come home. Maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening to this sermon online and you've stayed away from you've stayed away from church and you've strayed away from the place that you once were in your walk with God. Maybe you've gone so far away that you feel like you cannot return. Maybe in your heart you feel like it's too late. I will assure you today, it's not too late. Our Heavenly Father is waiting for you. He is calling you. He's calling you to come on back home. You don't have to live like that anymore. Yeah, but you don't know where I've been. You don't know what I've done. You're right, I don't. But I promise you, He does. And in spite of knowing everything that you've done and every detail of what you've done, He still loves you and He's still waiting for you with open arms saying, Come on back home. Come on back home. I promise you that His grace is more than sufficient to cover any sin that you might have committed. Look what the Apostle Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, chapter, or verses 4 and 5. But because of His great love for us, God who is rich in mercy, which means He has plenty of it, He is rich in mercy. He made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. Grace. Unmerited favor. Maybe you too, like this young man, feel like you've hit bottom. You feel like your life is hopeless. Maybe you feel like there's no future. Be assured that there is hope. 
Because God is waiting for you. He never gave up on you, just like this father in the parable. He will welcome you with open arms of mercy and grace. Luke 15.10 says that there is rejoicing in the presence of angels, angels over one sinner who repents. It's a big deal. It's a big deal in heaven when somebody repents. God is standing there waiting and calling and saying, Come on home. Come on home. You've been out there too long. Just come on home. And when you do, maybe you come thinking, I don't deserve it. But when you repent, the angels rejoice. The angels throw a party. And they celebrate, this is someone who has come home. We know how the story ended with the younger brother. It was a difficult journey. But he finally made it home. He made it home to a father whose love never wavered. I think it's interesting to note that the end of this parable, the part about the older brother, is left open. We're left to wonder, did the older brother ever go down to the feast? Did he ever reconcile with his younger brother? And I believe that Jesus left this parable open for a reason. I believe he left it open so the listeners or the readers could write their own end. And I will tell you today that you get to write the final paragraph of your story as well. How it ends will be determined by what you do with the call of the Lord that's on your life. If you found yourself recently in the pig pen of life, maybe it's time to tell the pigs bye and just go home. I promise you that the Father will receive you with open arms and with His grace and His mercy. He will erase all of your past. And He will restore you to a place of blessing and a place of rejoicing. And maybe you're here today and your life is more like that of the, the older brother. Yes, you're in the Father's house. You stuck around. You didn't leave. But you aren't having a good time. Just no fun. If that's you, maybe it's time for you to come down to the celebration. Maybe it's time to, to stop what you're doing and just come on down to the feast. Maybe it's time for you to renew your vows before the Father. Maybe it's time to realize what you really do have in living for God. Stop paying attention to what somebody else did or what somebody else has or anything about anybody else and just realize that if you're living for God, what you do have, you have His mercy. You have His grace. You have His love. And you're a son. You're a daughter. 
of the Most High God. If you're out in the Father's field, and you lack the love that you need for the Father, come on home. The door is open. The table is spread. And the Father's waiting for everyone to come. But regardless where you are today, let me assure you, there is no place like home. Would you bow your heads? Lord, today, I know that you are speaking to hearts in this place. I can't see anyone's heart, but I know that you can. Lord, help us to just examine where we are. Lord, and where we fall in this parable that you told. Lord, if we're the son that's just drifted away, and we're just not where we should be, Lord, maybe we've hit bottom. Assure us that you still love us, that you still are waiting with open arms. Draw us back to you, Lord. Draw us back home. Lord, if we're like the other brother, Lord, and we're just not appreciating what we have in living for you, renew our joy. Lord, just refill us with your Spirit. Fill us until we are running over. Give us a renewed enthusiasm for for being at home and living the life that we're living. Lord, remind us how blessed we are. For each one in this place today, Lord, speak to our hearts. Speak to our hearts. From wherever we might be in our walk with you, Lord, draw us just a little closer. If you're able to stand and would like to stand this morning, I know this hasn't been a hooting and hollering and run around the building sermon. But I believe that God is speaking to hearts this morning. At some point in a lot of folks' lives, they find themselves in one of those two places and maybe they've been in both. And if you're in one of those places, why not come on home today? Come back to the Lord today. I can't save you. Walking down here to the front won't save you. But if you want to pray today, this altar's open. Maybe you just need to get along with God. Just talk to Him and let Him talk to you. I'll pray with you. Others will pray with you. 
Is there anyone today who would like to come? Anyone at all? He is waiting with open arms. Listen to his voice. If you need prayer today, you're sick. We believe in healing. And we will pray for you. We'll do just like the Bible said. We'll anoint you with oil and we're just going to believe that God will just touch whatever needs you have. And if you need prayer, if you'll make your way down here, we'll do that. Is there someone that would like to come pray? Let's sing a song.